0: jason here thanks so much for joining us whether that is in person or online we're so appreciative to be invited into your space and to learn with you as we dive into this brand new series that is now week two old called space invaders you might be thinking jason the background from which you're you're talking looks a lot different than previous weeks where are you right now well i as well as some of our other staff are potential close contacts to a suspected COVID-19 case. And so we're all doing our due diligence, exactly what our health region requires and we're, we're isolating and making sure we're taking care of ourselves and getting ready so that we can minister alongside of you and encourage you and inspire you to greater degrees post isolation. So you can join us in praying for our recovery and for the recovery of so many others in our region and around our country and our world that are experiencing this illness god is bigger than all of it and we need to keep him as the the epitome of our focus in this season of setbacks week two of our space invaders series is all designed around the theme of taking the stage and as i was thinking about that in my own life in my background i I had this memory that came to mind that i haven't really shared with too many people because it's it's sort of embarrassing Uh, age kind of seven eight nine ten I was believe it or not a childhood model. (laughs) Yeah, I know some of you are laughing out loud at me. I get it. I'm okay with it. But at the time I was really feeling and battling feelings of inadequacy. When I stepped into that reality as as a volunteer, sometimes I got paid. I, I would have to be bribed to get on stage and I'm so thankful that it existed before the advent of YouTube because there's no footage of any of the shows, the fashion shows, or the uh, commercials that I starred in. Uh, it's, it's all gone somewhere. It's just in the minds of, of people. And like I said, I would have to be bribed to get on stage. A lot of times I just wanted, I wanted to have something to hold in front of my face. So I had no problem wearing the clothes and walking on stage or walking around or pointing at things. I just didn't want people to know it was me. So whether it was a beach ball or a balloon or something else, I'd hold it in front of my face, hoping that nobody would recognize me. I could get out of there as soon as I could and move on into the good parts of my childhood, like playing sports and running and jumping on the trampoline and so many more things. I wonder though, how many of us often feel inadequate in some way. Maybe we're not prepared for the moment that we're in right now. Maybe, maybe we're not prepared for right now to endure another calendar year of COVID-related challenges or topics of conversation or even setbacks. And it's in those moments where we feel inadequate that it's important for you and I to, to push through them when we, are, when we can and when it's applicable for us to do so. What I mean by that is we need to learn a little bit about this sense of resiliency and what it means to, to take the stage even when we feel a little bit unprepared in the moment. We're going to look at the story of a man named Moses, probably one of the more famous figures from the Bible. And we're going to see what we can learn from his story about facing our fears or inadequacies and being used by God to take the stage of our lives that we are in and and use it to transform the world around us as God moves through us. It's not about our own doing. It's about God working in us. And through us. So, if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn there with me to the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Old Testament, the first kind of portion of the Bible. We're going to dig into that a little bit. But before we dig specifically into uh, Moses' story, I want to give you a little bit of background and context before we get to the fourth chapter in the book of Exodus, where we're going to focus on for our time together. What's important to know about Moses is he was one of God's chosen people called. The Israelites, or another word to use the same, describe the same group of people, is Hebrews. He grew up in that culture, and this was a group of people that was set apart of all the people groups that existed in the world. They were set apart to be a blessing to the world around them. He happened to grow up in that environment, and he happened to be born in the country of Egypt. Now, his family, the Hebrew people, didn't live in egypt always they had their own part of the land that god had given to them that they were was their homeland the place that they they grew and developed and and kind of built their cities and all that kind of stuff but at the time of moses they had been temporarily relocated to the land of egypt the reason behind that is actually contained in the bible itself at the end of the book of genesis the first book of the bible we get a little snapshot as to why there was a famine that hit the whole area a seven year famine a long time to go without being able to have a harvest season or all that good stuff and so this group of people was relocated from their homeland to this foreign country the country of egypt because god wanted to preserve them from that famine now interestingly enough it was one of their very own that was in charge of the whole strategy for the then known world to survive that famine. A man named Joseph, he was a part of that community. He was, he was isolated from his family, and that's a whole other big story as to why that happened. But God used that isolation in great ways to save many lives, and it was extraordinary. But when Joseph passed away, all the people that were connected to him, all the people that believed in him and kind of gave him the the authority that he previously had as a non-Egyptian person was stripped away and new authorities came in place. And they saw this whole group of people, the Hebrew community that was continually growing in number, they saw it as an opportunity to, to mandate that they become the slaves for the Egyptian community, the the local indigenous community of Egyptian people. They wanted this, these foreigners to be subject to them. And, and so in order to stay in that space, they ended up working in slavery. I don't know why they stayed, but they ended up staying in that environment for far too long. See, a total amount of time that they were there in slavery was 400 years. That's a long time to wait for a pandemic to end, if you know what I'm saying. 400 years, four different generations. And a lot of times what you would hear from this group of people is a desire to be rescued from their plight. Not not unlike you and I, who would have a similar desire to be rescued from that moment if we found ourselves stuck in a place where we didn't want to be for very long. And they would cry out to God, would you deliver us? Would you deliver us? Help us Help us get back to, help us not be slaves anymore. All these different things. Can you imagine the prayers that they would have uttered in those moments? It would have been incredible. Now Moses' family was a part of this community. One of the families affected by the challenges that they faced in that moment. And as they were growing in number, the Egyptian community, their overlords, Pharaoh, their king in particular, was Getting a little bit nervous that if they got too large as a group of people, if they had too many strong fighting men, they might overthrow their Egyptian overlords and the roles would be reversed where the Egyptians could be slaves and the Hebrew people would be in charge. And he didn't want that. So he made this audacious law where all the Hebrew children aged two and under were supposed to be killed. Now, Moses happened to fit that age bracket, and his family did something different. Uh, many families probably tried to save their kids. Moses' family found a solution that worked to save his life. Moses' mom, Yohebed, made a waterproof container, something like a bassinet that you and I would put our own children into, maybe by our, our nightstand or, or our bed table or, or even in the living room to have a little bit of a snooze. She created this bassinet that had a covering as well, and it was waterproof, and her plan was to put Moses in this, and and then put him in the river, the Nile River, and have him float around there, and then once the coast was clear, go back, get him, and everything would be okay, and fine, and dandy, and it would be wonderful. She instructed her oldest daughter, Miriam, to, to keep her eye on her brother, and did exactly that, put him in the case, and or this little bassinet, this little basket thing, put it in the river. Now here's the thing to know about the Nile River. You don't have to just contend with drowning as one of your challenges. The Nile River itself is filled with ornery crocodiles, big, massive animals that love to bite and chew and rip to shreds anything that they can get their teeth on. So imagine for a moment how desperate you might, you must have been to put your child into this environment because that was the only potential way they would be saved from certain death. You would put them in harm's way, so to speak, with your older child keeping an eye on them, making sure they didn't wander too far in the the river and making sure the crocodiles didn't get too close or whatever it was, and that was just such a challenging moment in time to be in. You'd have to be desperate to go there as a parent. And, and Moses' mom was absolutely desperate. And while she put him in this and he ended up on the river, the cool thing is God had in mind to save him from calamity by some extraordinary means. It just so happened that Pharaoh's own daughter was bathing in the Nile River at that time with her whole entourage, people that would have been there to, to make sure that no crocodiles would have taken anybody who was bathing and take a chunk out of them along the way and all that sort of stuff. So spears and swords and all these things that these these guards would have had to protect this person. Now Pharaoh's daughter noticed and saw this thing floating in the water and was curious, got one of her servants to retrieve it, found out it was a Hebrew child, and she was moved with compassion. So much so that she decided to claim this child as her own. It was an incredible, incredible extension of love in that moment. She wanted to save and rescue this child and knew that if she didn't claim it as her own, her father would find a way to end its life, because that's what he decreed. So she rescues this child, and interestingly enough, Miriam sees this interaction take place, and and she says and mentions to to Pharaoh's daughter that, that she knows of a mom that could take care of this little one, and when the little one was ready... This little one would be brought to the palace and raised as a prince. Moses' own mom got to get him ready for the next adventure of his lifetime, which was to be raised as a prince prince of Egypt. Isn't that incredible? Now, raised as a prince of Egypt, at some point in time, he found out his story of origin, like where he came from, what he was about. I don't know if it happened in a classroom setting, I don't know if he always knew along the way, but at some point in time in his life, he found out that he was not Egyptian-born, he was Hebrew-born. And that his people that he was genetically connected to were, were kind of dominated by this exterior force, the Egyptian community, in so many different ways. And this was hard for him to understand. He would see it take place all the time where People would uh, not be doing their work well, and so instead of being chastised verbally, they'd be beaten physically. And he saw this take place on numerous occasions. At one point in time in his life, he was so moved by the moment that he was witnessing of this Egyptian slave driver just beating up this Hebrew slave that he had to intervene. And he intervened physically, and he did so with such great intensity that he ended up killing the Egyptian slave master. Crazy stuff. So think about it for a moment. He was was bobbing in the Nile as a little baby, rescued by a princess, raised as a prince, and now uses his platform, his authority, his stage to commit murder. So he panics. He leaves. He flees the area and the space. He gets out of Dodge as quick as he could, which is crazy because as a prince of Egypt, he could have pretty much done whatever he wanted to, whenever he wanted to. He could have explained it away, but instead he ran away from the moment. And I think that's really important for us to understand. There are gonna be times where we face a tension or a challenge or a problem, and you and I will have to make that decision. Do we stand there and work through it Or do we run away from it, leaving behind chaos and calamity and mess in the wake of our unwillingness to walk through the challenge that's in front of us? He ends up fleeing into the wilderness, and oftentimes the Bible uses that to describe People that don't know where to go next, they just go to the wilderness because that's a place to escape. And so he escapes to the wilderness and slowly and surely he starts rebuilding his life. He gets married. He has a family. He becomes a shepherd of livestock. He gets to hang out with all sorts of different types of people who do not know that he was once a prince of Egypt. And it's in this moment of obscurity, it's in this environment, it's in this different stage of life that something amazing happens. God finds him. God finds him right where he is. Right in that space where he wanted to remain hidden, God still finds him. And he starts speaking to him. And he speaks to him through extraordinary means. He's out tending the sheep one time, and this is encapsulated in Exodus chapter 3. And he sees this bush, this shrub that's seemingly on fire, but it's not being burned up. And as he steps closer, he hears this voice from the heavens telling him that this is God. This is I am. This is the God of his forefathers there to meet with him. He's instructed to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And he has this interaction and conversation with God. And God shares with Moses... I have heard the plight of my people. I've heard their cries and I want to rescue them. I want to rescue them from their circumstances. And more importantly than that, Moses, I want to use you to help rescue my people crazy. Moses knew that his people were trapped in Egypt. God was asking him to go back to the very place that he ran from. How could he do that? And so he started coming up with a list of excuses and reasons why he wasn't the guy to go. He should pick somebody else. He stutters. uses his older brother. Did you know that he killed somebody? Excuse after excuse after excuse. And God meets every one of those excuses with hope. In fact, we're going to pick up the story here in Exodus chapter 4, the first five verses. As this discourse continues, it's not just one or two excuses, it's multiple excuses. Check this out in verse 1. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. "'Throw it down on the ground,' the Lord told him. "'So Moses threw, it down, threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. "'Moses jumped back. "'Then the Lord told him, "'Reach out and grab its tail. "'So Moses reached out and grabbed it, "'and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. "'Perform this sign,' the Lord told him. "'Then they will believe that the Lord, "'the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, "'the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob,' really has appeared to you. This is an incredible moment that happens. And there's two big things that I wanna kinda solidify from the story of Moses that we've covered up to this point into our hearts and into our minds so that we can move forward with this in our understanding of what it means to be used by God as a space invader by taking the stage of life that he's given to us right now and seeing it as an opportunity. The first is a movement that you and I need to participate in. And it's the movement away from complaining to curiosity to confidence. We've got to move away from complaining to curiosity to confidence. This is the exact shift that we see in the life of Moses unfolding in what we just read in Exodus chapter 4. A shift away from complaining. He's running out of excuses. And sometimes you and I, we love to stay stuck in complaining. We complain about the weather. We complain about the music. That never happens in church, does it? We complain about the preaching. We complain about how somebody dresses. We complain about whether or not this pandemic will ever end. We complain about whether it's legit or not. We complain about whether our team. Our sports team of choice wins or loses who they hire, who they fire, who they trade for. We are in this endless cycle of complaining. We make something for dinner. Somebody around the table complains. We make something happen for vacation. Somebody on that vacation complains. We are stuck as a culture and as individuals in the mindset of being complainers. And being a complainer is not gonna get us anywhere, but stuck in a downward spiral cycle into irrelevance for ourselves and for the world around us. We have to discipline ourselves to move beyond complaining and allow our curiosity to lead us forward. And that's the key to create momentum. Instead of starting to complain, we start to wonder and ask questions. Instead of saying like, This is exactly what happened in in Moses' life here. Instead of you know staying in his excuses like I stutter, you can't use me, Uh, use my older brother instead, this, that, or the other, he starts asking questions like, but but who's going to know? Who's going to know that you and I interacted together? How are they going to know? What sort of sign can you give them? That's if we want to pull ourselves out of a cycle of complaining, we've got to become more curious. Take, for example, the moment that we're in right now. Instead of thinking about, God, why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you fixing my marriage? Why aren't you fixing my finances? Why aren't you helping this person that I desperately love, love me back? What if you, why can't you do this, that, or the other? All of those different things. They're complaining. What if we started to instead see those circumstances through the lens of curiosity? And we start asking a question like, God, what is it that you are up to? What are you doing right now? How should I be processing this in light of what I know to be true about who you are? Why is it that you want to use me? Why is it that you're allowing this to happen right now? And once we get to that continuum of curiosity, we'll slowly be able to to pull ourselves up and out of the stickiness that is that complaining culture. If we want to be a space invader, we have got to move away from being known as a complainer and allow our curiosity to carry us forward. But there's one other movement and shift that we have to make in that same continuum, and that's from curiosity to confidence. And I see this when I see... What, what Moses goes through as he throws his shepherd's staff down on the ground, and it becomes a snake. He's filled with panic and fear. Here's something else that could kill him, and now it's roaming around on the ground. Then God asks him to grab the tail, and as he does so, it turns back into a staff. Do you think for a moment that Moses would be able to look at that staff the same way twice? Not a chance, It always would represent something more. His curiosity became confidence because he discovered who God is and that God is faithful. That's exactly what it means to follow Jesus, is to discover that Jesus is who he says he is. He is a man of integrity that is fully God and fully human and does exactly what he says that he will do right when he's meaning to do it. He doesn't do it early. He doesn't do it late. He does it right at the specific moment in time that he is meaning to do so. You are single for a reason. You are married for a reason. You are a child for a reason. You are a grandparent for a reason. You're a member of Sea Road for a reason. You are an attender at Sea Road for a reason. You're a visitor here at Sea Road for a reason. God is always doing something, always working. Even when we do not see it, He is working. And if we embrace this movement away from complaining, into curiosity, and from curiosity to confidence, we will be able to stand more firmly when we are facing feelings of inadequacy, just like Moses, and take those challenges and stand firm alongside of Jesus, because we know that he's building something in us that's worth it. It's worth going through the fight and the mess and the chaos. That's the first thing that I want us to remember from this story. Let's make that shift in our everyday lives in a small practical way, away from complaining, to curiosity, to confidence. Let's discipline ourselves in that mindset, those mental pathways, trusting that Jesus knows what he's doing even when we do not understand it. And there's gonna be a lot of different times in our lives that we do not understand logically or emotionally what God might be doing. But we can trust that God is still God even in those moments of chaos. The second thing that I want to remember from this story and kind of allow us to flirt with a little bit longer is the question that God asks Moses. It's the question of what's in your hand. And when Moses replied, he had a shepherd's staff, something like this. Now, this is something that we use for hiking here at our house. It was found by an extended family member and all the bark peeled down and now it looks really cool and fun and you don't get slivers, all these things. What the shepherd staff represented to Moses was his very life. It was everything new that was created in his absence of fleeing his old lifestyle back in Egypt. This was everything new. It represented his family, his vocation. This was something that he would have been really intimate with, in, in that he, he knew it quite well. This staff would be used as, as a weapon and a source of comfort. A weapon in terms of fending off predators from eating the livestock. You'd smack things, you'd smash things. Maybe it'd be used to dig a, a hole or a well or refine something. Maybe it would be used to prod or move the livestock, Maybe help them get out of messes and sticky situations that they got themselves in. It represented so much. And through those ordinary things, God did something extraordinary. He turned us into a, a miracle worker, a conduit of hope. And for the people that, that Moses was able to rescue, it represented so much more than just a shepherd's staff. All because he was willing to allow it to be used by God in an incredible way. And I think that's what you and I need to get our minds kind of around this concept as we move forward in our own lives. We need to ask ourselves this question what's in our own hand? All of us carry a combination of our hurts, our habits, and our hang ups with us the challenges that we faced, the inadequacies that we felt. And we do feel uh, the abuses that we might have suffered, the stressors, the triumphs, the victories, the challenges, the gifts that we have, all of that stuff is bundled up in our hands. Sometimes we have good habits as a result. Sometimes we have challenging habits as a result. Sometimes we have hang-ups that just don't allow us to move forward in some way, shape or form. We, each one of us, carries a combination of these things in our own hands. And God, I believe, is asking us that very same question that he is asking Moses as he's preparing us individually and collectively to be uh, space invaders, living as aliens, loving His neighbors right where he's placed us. He's asking us to take the stage of life that we're in, even the one, even if it's not the one that we ideally fascinated for ourselves over time, we happen to be right where we are for a reason and a purpose, As a single parent or as a young married couple desperately wanting to have children or as an older widow or widower or younger widow or widower, whatever our set of circumstances is in the moment, employed or unemployed, all of those things, loved or feeling unlovable, all of those pieces, we are there for a moment and a reason. All of those things are in our hand. And what God wants to do is he's preparing us for this moment in time, preparing us in this new year to love and live like his son Jesus. He's asking us for what's in our hand. He's asking us to do exactly what he invited Moses to do, to take what's in our hand and throw it down on the ground. So I want you to physically do this with me visualize whatever it is in your hand, your combination of your own hurts, habits, hang-ups, memories, moments, whatever language you want to use, put it all in your hand. Your unanswered questions, your celebrations, put it all in your hand. And then, if you're courageous enough, if you're confident enough to trust God, I want you to throw it down on the ground. Symbolizing and signifying our willingness to do what God is asking us to do and to discover what he might be up to in the moment. Now, here's the thing. When God asks Moses to pick the staff back up, it was not the same staff. It had changed. It wasn't the exact same thing as he was used to or familiar with. And that's the thing. When we get to interact with with Jesus, we don't stay the same. We change. God moves in miraculous ways. And as Moses throws down the staff, it becomes a snake. And as he picks it back up, it becomes a staff. And it no longer represents one thing. It becomes a conduit of hope wherever he goes from that moment on. And your life and my life can function in the very same thing if you and I are willing to lay down what's in our hand and only pick back up what Jesus invites us to. That is the challenge of what it's going to mean for us to take the stage, the moment in time that we are in right now. And so as we go to a time of prayer, I want to invite you to do that activity that we just talked about that some of you just didn't do because it's too weird. I want you to visualize everything that's in your hand Give it over to Jesus if you are willing and allow him to transform it right in front of your very eyes. Would you join me as we pray? Father, I just ask in these next few moments that you would guide our time together. That you would meet us in the middle of our questions, our frustrations, our concerns, our challenges. Our uneasiness, our confusion. Jesus, we're going to put all of those things in our hand. Our future, our present, those that we love, those that we've lost, those that we need, those that we do not yet know of. Our moments, our finances, all of those things, we're going to put them in our hand, and we're going to to throw them down. Because we want our hands to be wide open, to receive only what you want to put back into it. And so, Jesus, I ask that you would bring the healing that is needed in our hearts and our minds from a relational connection standpoint. God, I ask that you would transform the way that we think about our present and our future so that we would be ever increasingly mindful of how you are working in the world around us and ever increasingly willing to partner alongside of what you want to do. Jesus, we're thankful for who you are. We're thankful of the invitation that you give to find life to the full and the free in you. Would you help us, even when our circumstances are most challenging, would you help us To remain confident in that truth and in that hope. Would you bless us and protect us? Would you make your face shine upon us, be gracious to us? Would you grant us your favor and your peace? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?